We're continuing our mini-series on the top five quality management system failures of all times. Today, we discuss a little bit about the Hubble Telescope. In today's global economy, quality matters. Benjamin Franklin once quipped, the bitterness of poor quality remains long after the sweetness of low price is forgotten. Quality Matters is here to talk about all things quality. So whether you're looking to improve your business, getting ready for an audit, or dealing with failed inspections, tune in, check us out, then get back to doing work that matters. Hey everyone, welcome back to Quality Matters, brought to you by Texas Quality Assurance, where quality management gets simplified. I'm Darcy. I'm Kyle. We're continuing our little mini-series based on the article or i don't know if this is maybe just a blog that kyle found <laughs> looked interesting the top five quality management system failures of all time Woo-hoo. and like i said last time i think this is one man's opinion we're mm-hmm. not stating this as fact um the author is dominic tremontana and so um we're kind of just bringing up what he lists and what yep. was the failure in the quality management and then talking about that in particular let's go so uh the next one on his list was the hubble telescope this is gonna be fun um i'm a geek so of course well we know you're a geek um so it looks like its first mission trip was in december of 1993 Mm -hmm. um and from the little bit that i read it was very exciting very much anticipated it's going to bring us all these wonderful images and now let me just say, I am plenty old enough that I should remember and know about all this stuff. I, however, as we have stated many times, am not a geek. <laughs> so I didn't really follow all this. Kyle probably remembers it more than I do. Yes, I do. Very cool stuff. So it's very exciting. Mm-hmm. We're going to get all these great images from space, and it's going to be wonderful. I remember reading books talking about them working on the Hubble telescope and what cool stuff it would do once it was in service. And then it went in service and the pictures came and they were not that good. (laughs) (laughs) They, uh, I did read one article that said, you know, it was not better than what you could get with an average telescope. And, um, so everyone was really disappointed, which kind of like with our last episode, we talk about the nuclear, nuclear power plant you know, that just drives public opinion away and Mm -hmm. says, I don't want to do this. So now I'm sure public is like, why do we spend all this money making this telescope? Yeah. I mean, this was not a small undertaking. And again, consider this is 93. So the telescope, all of the instrumentation, all of the everything was built in the time where we worked on DOS. It's all text-based entry data systems. I hope that you all listening know what that means. Okay. Well, we've got some, I've been looking recently kind of what our listener base is. And so it looks like the. Let's just explain DOS to people. We don't need to go into all that. Okay. So it's a text-based operating system. You type everything. There's no buttons to click. There's no no, no icons. It's all just text. So I'm just saying, this is really old school computers. Your cell phone has probably more power than all the computers in the world in the late 80s. Okay. So um, the problem with the imaging came from an optical defect called a spherical aberration. That was caused by a malfunction of a measuring device (laughs) 
used mm -hmm. during the polishing of the mirror. So the edges were polished very slightly to flat mm -hmm. on the main mirror. Mm -hmm. So we need to talk about Kyle malfunctions of measuring devices okay. and when i read that <clears throat> it kind of made me think of how um well i'm trying to remember how to say this like you say every year every time certain measuring tools get used you have mm -hmm. to recalibrate them and record that calibration and mm -hmm. make sure it's right all right so sorry finishing off clutch there <laughs> <laughs> all right Measurement equipment. This is something that can be... Oh, Darcy's dying over here. <laughs> Measurement equipment is one of these things that can really be um, a pain in the butt. I mean, it really can be. And it's something that's very hard to explain to folks the why it's so critical. So let's take the most basic measurement tools that we all use. I say all use. Anyone in industrial world does. I've got a caliper. All right, so a caliper measures things down to the 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 inch of the centimeter and it can get down to the tenth the hundredth even thousandth of isn't it kind of like a pincher and you squeeze something and it measures it yes yes it is a pincher that you squeeze and it measures and it's got a little <laughs> dial that goes around and it tells you i'm here all day folks <laughs> so these have to be checked at minimum annually <clears throat> now there's a number of checks that you can do on these things so you can and should have them certified to a standard and that standard should be traceable to a national or international standard so what that means is i've run into the case several times before where folks want to do their own internal verification of the measurement equipment because it's expensive to send it to a lab and it takes time um, and if you use a cheap lab and i guess sending it. it to a lab is how it gets certified to the standard correct and so you send it to the lab. They've got folks who are certified to do the measurement, who are trained. The last podcast episode talks about how important training is. And so they're trained to check it. And they also have a set of blocks there that have themselves been engineered and have the traceability to some other national or international standard. So you might think, well, a, a foot's a foot. Well, maybe, but not always. And something I ran into one time before we had uh, these, uh, what they call veneers. They're like really, really freaking big calipers. And so they were talking about like things that are 90 to 120 inches long. Wow. And we're measuring them down to a thousandth of an inch mm. accuracy. Okay. So we, we had to get these things uh, recertified for their annual certification. And so we sent them to a lab to do it because, you know, <laughs> we weren't going to have any way to do that internally. And they sent them back saying half of them failed. These things aren't cheap. I mean, these are very, very expensive precision. But I thought they were supposed to like calibrate them for you. Well, they're supposed to check to see if they're good or bad, and so they said that they needed to be repaired or replaced because they were no good. I'm like, that's not the case. These were brand new. We hadn't even used one of them, and they're saying it's bad. Okay. So what they do is they you, these really big ones. You calibrate them to standards that it came with. So it comes with a standard that's like 96 inches long. Mm -hmm. And so it's this big metal rod that's 96 inches long. So what we found out happened is that the temperature of the lab was quite different mm. from the temperature of the shop. And so they had allowed these things, what they call a dwell time, for 24 hours. In the lab. In the lab. 
but it turned but they didn't open the case or nothing so they left everything closed in the lab so what it turned out is they needed to leave it open in the lab at this same consistent temperature for 48 hours to normalize so that everything would expand at all the same rates so this stuff really does matter but where i run into uh, objections from folks isn't with these large precision pieces of equipment we all kind of get we want our big expensive precision equipment to be good but when you've got a little hundred dollar mitutoyo caliper i mean if even a hundred dollars because mitutoyo is pretty cheap um you got your machinist your welder whoever they've got those in their toolbox they use them all the time to spot check stuff but here's the thing if it got calibrated last year and it's been used daily since then and maybe even you let your buddy borrow it how do you know that thing's still any good how do you know and what precision do you know what makes them go bad someone dropping it Mm. or um sometimes what these guys will do is they'll use it to scribe the metal and so basically say you put it out to like six inches you want a six inch circle great you put one piece in the middle and you spin it around and let it scratch the edge of the metal mm-hmm. so they scribe with it well the problem is is that it puts a little bit of twist and a little bit mm-hmm. of torque and pressure and so those teeth will you know bend and bow and break and stuff like that so it makes me wonder with the hubble telescope the measuring device that caused the edges to be polished too flat like I would think that this device was developed or purchased just for this purpose. Possibly. But I mean, what if it hadn't been checked in a year and who knows how much had been worked on since then? So a practice I put in place at a previous company is if we were doing a documented inspection, which means just that we're writing down the numbers and we're gonna make a decision, go, no, go, yes, no, pass, fail, off these numbers, is we had to do a spot check verification of our measurement equipment before we did a document and inspection and so what we did is we purchased ourselves a set of blocks that had the traceability to the national mm-hmm. international standard they were nist traceable we trained everyone and certified everyone on how to spot check their equipment and so they would go and spot check their equipment to make sure that yes this four inch block is this the six inch is that and it's all within you know that that tolerance there um and we would find stuff probably about once a month. They'd go do a spot check. Equipment's no good. It was good six months ago when it got calibrated, but mm-hmm. it's no good today. And doing those spot checks internally is really, really important. But if the folks don't know how to do it or they don't have that process, I mean, it opens up tons of possibilities for things to go wrong. I'm just curious. I guess maybe it's the negative Nelly in me. But it it talks about the malfunctioning of a measuring device Mm -hmm. that caused it to be polished too flat. I'm wondering if the measuring device or the polishing was like programmed incorrectly and it's more of a human error than a device error. Uh, Even then, you should still have a device you go back and check it with. So there were some serious problems in their inspection methods here serious serious problems with inspection methods on equipment and double checking the work i mean especially something like this you don't really have much of a second chance to fix it now they did fix it but they had to send the freaking space shuttle to do it right which is it's not a simple rework (laughs) yeah it does say that they uh went and replaced it with a second generation camera and it uh counteracted the error and yep. it led to a dramatic increase in image quality. And it has a couple of pictures here. We can post a link to this article. It's not, it's really like less than a page. Um, 
But no, it, it is. It's, it's fascinating, though, that they didn't actually replace the mirror because they couldn't really replace the mirror. They replaced the, uh, the camera and the software to account for the error that they had in the mirror. Hmm. So they That's didn't interesting. even get to replace the problem. They just had to work around the problem. Well, I guess that's ingenuity, yeah. right? But uh, I, this really isn't all that surprising because I'm, I'm telling you, I see it so frequently. I mean, especially when this is what you do day in, day out, and you tell yourself, well, I know my equipment's good. I take care of it. I get, I'm just thinking of it like this isn't a day in, day out thing. This is a Hubble telescope that is a one-time thing is what I'm thinking. It is, but let me give you another example. So... We talked to a, a company uh, sometime last year, and they had been going through this lawsuit for like four or five years because of a $40 component that they had sold failed at the bottom of the ocean and caused in, in, uh, a whole environmental mess. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, you would think the people that are putting stuff down in the bottom of the ocean under tons of pressure, miles underwater, pumping oil all over the place, would think, oh, this is really critical. We need to take care of it. The problem is, is that someone in the purchasing department was not relayed the exact requirements necessary for the component. And so the purchasing department did what purchasing departments do, is if two parts are equal, I'm going to get the cheap one. And so they got a cheap one, not knowing all of the technical requirements that they needed so they should have bought a, a different component from someone else or even a different component from the same company. But all those requirements weren't relayed. So it may could be a similar issue here. Which kind of goes back to communication, which we talked about in our yes. previous episode. All this stuff connects. You know, that's what dimming, how dimming describes a system. Is a system is an interaction of multiple connected processes. So we've got our purchasing department and their requirements getting communicated out. We've got the inspection department, the manufacturing for this mirror. We've got all these things. And they're all connected. And they all have to communicate. You can't live in your own bubble. No, no, not at all. Not at all. But uh, unfortunately, that's that's the way things go. And, and it's stuff like this that occurs. It, it's stuff like this that occurs. Hmm. Interesting. But, uh, yeah, quite the uh, rework if you have to send a space shuttle to do it. You know, we complain when we got to return something to Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have to go all the way to Kohl's. I know. It's and terrible. walk into the store. <laughs> whole reason for ordering it from Amazon was so I didn't have to go into a store. Oh, man. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, that was the fascinating part to me is that they never actually replaced the mirror, or at least to my knowledge. <laughs> They just corrected for it with uh, some really fun software tweaks and the new camera. Yeah, and I think I had read when I was looking at this a little bit, and I think I mentioned this earlier, that, you know, it kind of deflated people's faith in the space program. Like, oh, we're so excited, and our tax dollars are going to this, and like, oh, wow, I can look through my telescope and see something better than that. Like, what the heck? Yeah. But, you know, that's part of what's so exciting about seeing this new private space exploration uh, industry taking off. Now, I know people are complaining about billionaires launching themselves into space, but, I mean, dadgum, I guess it was kind of the same thing with Henry Ford building himself a vehicle. (laughs) Just go get a horse, you know, you rich SOB, right? I mean, but it's the same type thing. But I I love to see these type things privatized because when you are dealing with it on a government level, the costs are so massively inflated. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so massively inflated. And if you cut costs... Because it's not anybody's money. Right. Yeah. 
And, you know, any cost-cutting measures that happen, this is the type of stuff that can go wrong. Mm-hmm. But when it's privatized, it's my own personal money, effectively personal money I'm putting towards it. Mm-hmm. Think about Bezos or Elon Musk or whatever. Like, eh, you get a little bit different sense of, uh, of control over it. And the private sector's goal is to reduce cost and increase quality. That's never really the, the public sector's goal. Mm-hmm. No, and uh, we were just talking to someone else this morning that was, I guess he had a friend that's involved with SpaceX and oh, yeah. has Elon's phone number in his phone <laughs> and said that he's very hands-on. He wants to be there for the demos. He makes decisions real quick, yep. but he wants to see everything that's happening, which I'm going to guess does not happen in government contracts. Probably, probably not. I, I, I would not assume so. But yeah, the uh, Hubble Space Telescope, it was just, it, it was such a disappointment because this was, this was supposed to be the absolute best we're ever going to see the universe we're going to learn so much more about our solar system about the whole universe and it came to that it did after we sent a space shuttle up (laughs) (laughs) after we spent what millions of dollars i mean is it millions to send another space shuttle up or hundreds of thousands i I don't know how much i I don't know in the 90s yeah this was in it's not like uh i mean even today these rocket launches are a big deal but uh yeah in the 90s it was it was very very different ball game I mean, uh, again, like think about the computer systems we use for it. Like, gum, you've got more navigation power in Google Maps than they had in the space shuttle. That's scary. Mm-hmm. Like, they actually use um, gyroscopes by eye to navigate because you don't really know which way's up, down, or which way you're facing or anything. So they've got these gyroscopes spinning in this fluid, and they use it to navigate. <laughs> like, this is crazy. That's scary. <laughs> but... So any, I mean, we can criticize, you know, what went wrong with the Hubble Space Telescope, and there probably were some very simple uh, steps over overseen, but it's still just absolutely phenomenal that we were able to get the sucker up there, and it's been operating continuously. Mm-hmm. Now we had some issues with it recently that I've not had a chance to to look into, but yeah, it's just absolutely fascinating. Yep. Hey, this is Kyle with Texas Quality Assurance here for the Quality Matters podcast. You know, one of the number one services that we provide for folks are what they call second-party internal audits. You know, the fact is it is so difficult to maintain objectivity, to schedule the time, train the resources, and and manage the process for your internal audits. So why not outsource it to experts who are used to doing this, handle it on a regular basis, and can provide you with the compliance support you need to keep uh, working and do work that matters.